The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Welcome, everybody, to The Legendarium. Uh, you've already noticed there's something a little bit different about this episode in that it is my voice welcoming you to our Rhythm of War discussion. Today, I am going to be hosting. I am. This is, I'm Ryan. For those of you who've been a long-time listeners, I have with us here, we have Craig, hey. still here. There. <laughs> we have Ken. Hey. And we have Stephanie. Hello. And I know many of you have come to love the uh, insults and everything. Well, I promise you... Everything is still normal in Legendarium land, and you're going to hear some, you're going to have the opportunity to hear the insults, the recaps, everything coming, but we've done something a little bit different this time. Uh, we're recording this first part that you're hearing after we recorded the second part that you're going to hear, because we realized after we talked about it on the second time that, well, we didn't really talk about a lot of the main things people would want to talk about. There's a hand. <laughs> let's, let's put it this way. It was a bad episode. I, in in a way, in a it, way, it was yes. an unstructured with some good highlights, but overall, not not our best work. You would be, I think, that listeners, if we did not speak about the things that we're hoping to talk about in this episode, would probably find themselves upset that we didn't cover things like I don't know, Kaladin, uh, for an hour <laughs> <laughs> prior. Uh, so this episode is recorded after the one that will come after this for you to hear. But it's all Rhythm of War discussion. It's just more content, and hopefully you'll enjoy that discussion as well. But today, with this crew here, we want to get back into talking about Rhythm of War and specifically take some time to break down our characters and the arcs that they go through, through parts one and two. So uh, because this is the first part, I am going to throw out spoiler warnings uh, for this and General Cosmere. Uh, this book has kind of pushed us into a realm where we might start talking about larger Cosmere things. So just be aware of that. Also, just quick housekeeping that Craig normally does at the top of the show. Please support us on Patreon. Join us on Discord to uh, join in the conversation. Uh, you'll have an opportunity to also email Craig uh, as a good way to send us what you'd like us to talk about throughout the rest of the Rhythm of War series. Um, you'll hear something in the second episode about that uh, yeah, if, you, if you want to. Essentially, all the stuff you're used to, just we'll get there in the other episode. You know, we'll do the insults. We'll do the, the Ken's recap yeah. and all that. So that'll all be there. Um, this episode, we're just going to dive right into the stuff that we're supposed to actually talk about. Yeah. Think right. of this as like the Shadesmar discussion because we're doing part two first and part one second. So what? we're like in the cognitive realm. I'm where trying to follow back, you. Everything's yeah. backward in the cognitive realm. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that took a second. Okay. <laughs> I, I finally followed you. If we had somebody competent at explaining things, then it wouldn't have taken as long. All right, Ryan, where are we going first? Well, since you brought up the cognitive realm and Shadesmar and everything, uh, let's, let's start... Um, a little bit into this with our characters, Sh uh, Shalon and Adolin, because they're going to be going into Shadesmar here a little bit first. Okay, so in parts one and two, they they start out in Urithiru. Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, some great scenes with them interacting with the others, but pretty soon in part two, they go off on their own, enter Shadesmar. Oh, by the way, spoilers abound. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Parts one and two. We're not going to spoil the rest of the book, but they go into Shadesmar and make their way to Lasting Integrity, the homeland or the fortress or whatever of, of the, honor, the spren. honor spren and they have some adventures along the way some interesting some intrigue is going on with uh that there's a mystery who killed eli sadius mm -hmm. um and uh let's see by the end of part two they make it to lasting integrity and adolin has offered himself up to stand trial for the rest of you know in in, in place of the rest of humanity right uh, so that he can try to convince the honor spread to come join the cause. Yes, yeah. and on top of that, we've also got, uh, it starts back with the murder of ELA, um, but Shalon has discovered that there is a leak. There is a spy. A spy in- In her network in her of spies. Network. Right. What do, they, what do they call her group? What's it? The Unseen Court. The Unseen Court. So that's the Edge Dancer, or sorry, Edge Dancer. The, what are they called? Light Light Weaver. The Lightweaver Light Weaver group. Uh, Lightbringer's oh, a different series. Yeah, yeah, Lightweaver, sorry. <laughs> and there's, what, 20 of them, give or take? Yep, 20 in the Unseen Court right now, and she's got it narrowed down. But the problem that she's having is that uh, someone keeps leaking information to the Ghostbloods, to Marais, about what's happening. And she's trying to figure out who that is and that, who killed ELA as part of that whole process. Um, 
and and so she's dealing with having on top of her split personalities which i know we've we will discuss uh, a bit in, in in the future here but on top of that she's also dealing with losing trust in her closest group of people which is a really for someone who's already struggling to find value and everything here is a big deal and it's a really good thing that she has adeline with her um because i think while her story is really is really enjoyable it is what adeline is able to do for her that really makes the story shift and stand out so what do you mean i'm going to throw to stephanie because she's the one who originally brought up this point to me earlier in talking about how adeline and his support to shallan has made a big big difference so the more i got thinking about this we've talked a lot well, me and Ryan have talked more about. Yeah, you know, you never call me, Stephanie. You I never know. call me to discuss like... Stormlight books, and I've I've never figured <laughs> out why. Well, Ryan's office is a little closer, <laughs> but so as we were talking, we were talking a lot about Kaladin and his mental problems that he's dealing with, and we were talking about Shalon and her split personalities and her disorder that she's dealing with. But the nice thing that I love about following Adolin is that Adolin, you get a good insight on what it's like to deal with others that have these problems. From Adolin's point of view, we get the support system of what it's like to have to support these people that we all have in our lives, people that are struggling and dealing with their own mental issues. And there's a moment that I loved between Adolin and Vale that when Vale actually opens up about some of the problems Shalon is dealing with and Shalon cowers back even farther, now embarrassed of what Adolin might think of her, but that Vale is the one that's also weirdly a support system for Shalon. So you also get her kind of point of view of how do we make her better? Because you can see from Vale's point of view that it's not a, I want to be the dominant personality. It's I am here to support Shalon and to help Shalon function and I, th- I just thought that was kind of an interesting point of view with Adolin and especially as we get into more of what Shalon's dealing with and as Shalon gets into her own issues and overcoming her issues the support that Adolin is there for her he also has one of the more interesting arcs uh in trying to deal with all these uh, things with our supers he's our non-super in the sure. sense of he's yeah. not a radiant at the moment um and he He's having to deal also with the fallout from Oathbringer of realizing that his father, what his father did to his his mother, um, although unintentionally, uh, we see that his relationship has, ta- his and Dalinar's relationship has taken a hit because of what happened in Oathbringer. And the expectations and uh, the the loving son to father relationship is not what it once was. And that's a. It, it is nice to see that that shift in tone a little bit between Adolin and Dalinar. Where in the past it's always been like I'm not, you know, it's I'm not living up to what my father's expect- expectations are. To now it's I don't know if I need to live up to my father's expectations because he's not who I thought he was, but he still is. Like I'm very appreciative of the way that he thinks things through uh, in this section. It's like so much of what Sanderson writes into his books, and that's the extreme epic fantasy version of something we all go through which Mm -hmm. is when you grow up and realize (laughs) that you know your dad was always your hero or you know your mom or whoever like they were always your hero and then at some point you realize they're human they've made some mistakes they made incorrect choices and you know they have to deal with those consequences and sometimes you have to deal with the consequences of their choices and all that stuff and obviously burning a city and killing your mom isn't something you know like i said it's the epic <laughs> fantasy version of it but yeah it's it's still recognizable yeah yeah really sorry to whoever actually identifies with that on a very close level apparently that's <laughs> right. that's that's really rough um but yeah so to, to recognize that and then with adolin uh once we get into shadesmar his interaction with the honor spren and his not just uh going into being willing to stand trial for this but the way he's trying to problem solve because he's been sent on a very important mission uh we kind of focus on the close of it but his purpose is to get the honor spren to join back and to kind of to start the discussions back to hey can you forgive about that whole thing where we killed a bunch of you and come back and help us fly again Uh, that's a really big ask uh for for him and he has he has a um he has maya i just couldn't remember what the 
title where the name for her was. Um, but he has Maya, who's not exactly he's not smiled upon for having right. This is a not an player. advertisement for right. He's already got this back point against joining him. humanity. So I, Adolin has always been an enjoyable character, but this book uh, has pushed him up further into the forefront of being a more enjoyable character and a someone who we were really rooting for. And honestly, I most people I talk to right now, I don't think anyone wants him to become a radiant. Right. Like maybe a few people do, but there is something special about his relationship. And I'm sure we can talk about more when we finish the book, but his relationship with Maya, his relationship with the Spren as a whole, uh, him being that mouthpiece, I think he is well-suited to be our non-radiant hero. Well, yeah, non-radiant hero, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be a regular. He's going to, his relationship with Maya, and we remarked on this in the Oathbringer discussion, but we get more of that as they travel through Shadesmar, his, uh, you know, practicing with her on the barge and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Well, and she finally battles with him when he's trying to rescue the honors what what's the captain Notum. yeah that she finally actually Heist. comes to his rescue was he an honor he's an honor yeah. yeah okay yeah yeah anyway and so i i don't there's going to be more there it's not just a oh what a what a nice little relationship with him and his dead sword <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it, there will be some kind of payoff here and he won't be just some guy that relationship i don't know that it would will make him a radiant. I don't know that she can come back. Yeah. But right. but there will be something there beyond just uh, a regular connection with uh, Shardblade, mm-hmm. right? It's it, It's got to pay off somehow. No, I agree. I completely agree. Um, which that can actually transition us a little bit. One of the other things I was kind of hoping to talk about, uh, it's not a main character piece, but it, I think it does take just a moment worth of mention is our time in Shadesmar, we get a different view of the Spren now. Um, if you're actually reading the book versus an audiobook, you'll actually see a bunch of artist drawings of the different types of Spren. Mm-hmm. And we start to see a little bit more of how the Spren community works. And we get to watch the Honor Spren specifically and see how they're one of those creatures who it's always been felt like that they're uh, they're heroic. They're, they're heroes or whatever. Right, because, because what we know is Sill. Yes. Right, right. But they aren't really showcasing that, and they've actually started to kind of. Stephanie brought it up a little earlier. They're kind of Lyran esque, in the sense that they've been hurt by something, and now they've set a really firm set of rules that they won't uh, uh, change from at all, right. vary from. They're not going to deviate, and that we are right and you are wrong. Yeah, which is why they why Adolin is forced to stand trial. Uh, now I did my Lyran rant in the episode <laughs> forthcoming, right? And so I'm not going to exercise my uh, my, my Lyran muscles here. I hate Lyran. But the Honor Spren have much more of a point than Lyran does. Yes. Uh, yeah. now, not that Lyran doesn't have any any leg to stand on at all. That, you know, he lost both of his sons and, or whatever. You know, you know what I mean. It was a whole ordeal, but he is... He is uh, unreasonable in a less excusable way. Mm-hmm. The honor spren, it's like, no, you guys got nearly wiped out. Uh, wiped out. Yes. Everybody was mm-hmm. bonded, or nearly everybody was bonded, and then they all got wiped out, and they had to rebuild the honor spren civilization. That's a little bit different. <laughs> and so I forgive them a little bit more. Okay. Right? Uh, understandable. I think it's interesting because... In our discussions with the different Spren they come with along the way, the, that's the Honor Spren side, but the the different Spren have different responses to that day. Um, the Cryptics obviously are more inclined to go join uh, with Knight's Radiance, things like that. Um, but other Spren, you know, the Ink Spren, for example, they're very similar to the Honor Spren, won't join, won't do anything. Other ones who are kind of afraid but more willing. It's really interesting to see this whole other civilization where in the past, the first few books, Spren feel like the magic fairy, you know, Navi from Zelda or whatever. It's just kind of over your shoulder who gives you a little bit of information and helps out, you know, connected or whatever. No, that there's a whole culture and civilization here and personalities that we're having to deal with on a higher level than we've had to deal with in the past uh, because we're actually having to get convince them of something rather than just hope that they show up. And speaking of which, Ryan, that is... <laughs> something that we started to remark on in Oathbringer uh, with our first journey through Shadesmar 
but now it's uh, it's becoming more and more of a thing, right? As you say, he's developing these civilizations, and there are different nations within, and there are different factions within those nations, and you know, people who want to help and those who don't, and all that stuff. Essentially, Brandon Sanderson is insane, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can we can we go ahead and just stipulate he is insane because he has he has created not just. Uh, Forget the Cosmere. Let's just... Uh, okay, that's insane by itself. I, I struggle to think about the scope of what he's doing. But then we zoom in on the Stormlight Archive. He's created this giant world with, you know, as many nations as you would find in the Wheel of Time and, uh, you know, all the different cultures and and the different characters, a bajillion different characters that you need to follow and understand. And then... Put three layers yeah, on then it. And then it exactly. he takes you to the, the upside down Mm-hmm. And says, and it's not just a mirror image. It's actually a completely different civilization. And the map is inverted. And you now you can go to all these other places. And, uh, and you have to learn all these other things. He is asking a lot yes. of us, right? Yes, he is. Does this throw anybody off? I mean, it, he is putting the epic in epic <laughs> fantasy. This is... This is unlike anything I've ever read before. I'm not saying it's uh, it's not throwing me off in in so far as it. Uh, I'm not saying that I enjoy it any less for this. It's just so intense intellectually. You mm-hmm. have there's so much that you have to memorize and understand um, in order to follow the story. Uh, this is it's more intense in some ways than reading the Lord of the Rings or the Silmarillion or something. It's there's a lot here. It's much. And sometimes it feels like a textbook when he gets into things, explaining the the details right. of things, or the mechanics of how things work, and you just go, wow, I don't care. Just give me action. <laughs> <laughs> some of those things, yeah, but there, there's still some very enjoyable aspects of it. Uh, generally speaking, when you get this new stuff, for example, we get to lasting integrity for the first time. Um, and you know, obviously we're in spoiler mode. So, you know, the big tower in the artwork that Michael Whelan put out there, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's lasting integrity is that giant, uh, that obsidian looking tower up there. And the visuals that he writes in there, that gravity has no actual direction in there. You know, you're walking through it right up the side or whatever. So my mind is already like, okay, I've got to assimilate this new information. And it's really, you know, that's, that's a lot to pick up. But then on top of that, I have these visuals that are just already twisting my mind. Like, how do I how do I put this visual in my head other than the, you know, uh, I can't remember the artist's name that does that painting. MC Escher. MC Escher, yeah. The Escher painting. Like, that's that's what I'm looking at is an Escher painting here. Or Labyrinth, this. you know, so the movie. I, you know, I, I really appreciate it, but it is, it is, like you said, a lot to ask people to do, um, especially if they're not really used to epic fantasy styles of things. So, well, And I got to say, with other epic fantasies, uh, let's take the Wheel of Time, for instance, since that's going to be the the comparison that is forever drawn uh, between mm-hmm. the Wheel of Time and Stormlight Archive. The Wheel of Time can be read casually. Yeah, you'll miss a few connections here and there. Uh, you might uh, There might be a character that comes back three books later, and you're like, wait a minute, who are they? But you kind of, uh, you figure it out as you go. You cannot read the Stormlight Archive casually you have to read with intent like you can't does that make sense it makes sense i'm not sure i entirely agree but it makes sense um there's just too much there yeah sorry that that sounded wrong there's too much there to read it casually and, and follow along i think that's more accurate in book four especially books one and two i didn't think there was as much there were the little uh, teasers to hey there are other things going on in the Cosmere but now it's it's all laid out but it's, even just in Roshar itself like the the self-contained world not Cosmere related there he's he's got a lot here um, to deal with but I I do think you can read it casually uh, and you won't know what you're missing yet uh, but you will start to notice subsequent things if you do rereads or if you try to talk to someone about it who's a little more invested Um so that's kind of where I think on that. I think uh, we should probably jump topics now, shift out. We've, we've been in Shadesmar. We've been yeah, uh, yeah. with Cato, uh, Cato- 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 No, Well, uh, Shadolin. Shadolin, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Boy, Caitlin, that's oh, uh... boy, that's that's fan fiction <laughs> waiting to happen. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I hesitate, but we need to address one big plot point. We talked about how Shalon figured out there was a leak. She finds out who the spy is at the end of part, towards the end of part two. Oh, she does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ken, she, who is it? It's Pattern. She thinks it's Pattern. Okay. So, but, how do you feel about that? I don't believe it yet. You don't believe it yet. I don't. But I'm only on the end of part two, so. I think that it's set up quite nicely, but I also know Brandon Sanderson's propensity for mammoth twists as you go <laughs> along. So I don't know why, if he is, if he's messing with the box, I don't know why yet. So I'm not sure how I feel about it. If he's actually messing with the box, maybe he thinks it's funny. It, it could be he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it is another light weaver still. I need more information. I, I have a hard time believing that a cryptic would deliberately be a spy against their own radiant though. Well, isn't this like they are lie spread? That's true, right? They, they, they this really is what are. They thrive on. So, so maybe maybe they that's a possibility, but I just don't see it yet. I'll be interested to see how it blows my mind when I'm inevitably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think, Stephanie, when when the pattern reveal came up? I don't remember. <laughs> that was a long time ago. I can tell you, I. I thought that we're finally going to get to understand what a Lyspren or a cryptic actually is. And mm-hmm. this is our first inkling because we've, it's kind of like Syl, you know, Syl, we don't think that she's necessarily uh, indicative of what an honor spren is. And then we have pattern and it's like, is pattern indicative of what a Lyspren is? And, and, is that what I have a really hard them? time calling them Lyspren because they're actually probably encompass more truth. Well, anyway, than but, anything, but and the they just enjoy is, lies because they find them entertaining. Point being, um, this was an indication to me that okay, so maybe he does, maybe that is their nature as beings is to, to and he could be a variant lie or something. Yeah. Well, I guess I was operating on the assumption that he was a variant. And then this made me think, Ooh, maybe he's not, maybe he actually, this is who he is and he can't get around that. Right. I think just in comparison, cause we, we get to meet other cryptics in here and see how they re, how they enter, how they interact with people. Uh, and they're like, well, he's pattern and he's pattern and he's pattern. Remember <laughs> right. all that. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting thought to be like, okay, is is he the variant or is he the standard? Uh, it, you know, with this move, I remember reading it and I had very similar feelings to Ken originally, where it's like, no, I don't, I don't believe this. I don't want this to be the case, or I I just don't understand it. Yeah, and it, it it frustrating, and I'm like, you can't you can't take characters I like and flip them like that. It bothers me. Uh, come on, Brandon. But I think it that was probably the first time in this book that I had a reveal moment that I went, oh, did not see that coming. Like there's been a few, there's a few things that happened, but up to this one point, they've all been fairly well telegraphed from prior experience, whatever. This was the first reveal. It was like, oh, okay. Mm, all right, where are we gonna go from here? Cause I did not know that could be the case. Right, right. Okay, right. so should we move on from- Yes, now we can get off that, t- that storyline, that story arc. Um, and let's go back out of Shadesmar into Roshar at Hull. Really quickly, let's talk Dalinar and the the coalition of monarchs and everybody there mm. because it's a really fairly short conversation, to be honest. Okay. Um, what does Dalinar do in this sequence in parts one and two of this book? I, I don't even remember. Not much. Do you remember anything, Ken? Uh, I remember that he changes his mind. Which is a pretty big thing, but basically he. What are you talking about? Well, his plan all along has been we have to retake Alethkar. Right. And the mink comes in and says that would doom your entire campaign, army, your entire okay. campaign. And so he changes his mind and says, "All right, let's attack Azimir in order to put pressure on Emul and basically bottle in bottleneck the singers right there, take the fight to them basically." And uh, tangent, by the way, how nice is it to see? Uh, interludes from previous books paid off like the mink coming in and saying mm. now we know why why that hog story in Oathbringer was so important because here's the mink and he's obviously going to play a critical role in Dalinar's plans yeah so that anyway that was a tangent but it so basically Dalinar changing his mind and changing his tactics and being able to 
listen to his advisors, I think is the biggest of deals. I don't know what more you're looking for than that. But. No, that because the truth is not a lot happens in this sequence other than that decision and the focus being shifted. It is a large emotional moment in the sense of surrendering his homeland for who knows how long. Yes. The plan is still to reclaim it in the long run, but... But they have to take the way around to get there now. We got to do other things first and that shift, which is going to shift the focus of... Uh, this is what allows them to pull everybody away so that the tower is available to be invaded. Right. And that's really... Uh, I, I hate to say it, but if that's the closest thing to a convenient plot point that I have on this one is where it's, we need to get everybody out of the tower so that it there's only a few people there when it gets invaded because it doesn't make sense. I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. It felt organic enough to me because they're not just going to sit in this tower forever and right. watch the listeners... Uh, wipe out everything that they know and love right they yes, are right. going to go out and campaign against them uh, so i i see what you're saying and but they have I didn't... spies in there to help that where they would inform like there's right. plenty there to justify it it was just one of those things like okay you you naturally need to make this happen so this is probably the best way to do it yeah no nah, i'm fine with this as, as a plot device the uh, bigger move of convenience for me was grounding kaladin and leaving him in the tower just at the right time <laughs> yep. to have him be there when everybody leaves and the singers come in. I think it's interesting that you put it that way, grounding Kaladin. So I think, honestly, let's let's shift into his arc and his story up to this point because it's the next one that I think has uh, a little bit more to discuss because we're shifting very much away from war hero Kaladin to dealing with uh, the after effects of battle and the fact that even our Radiants are dealing with this. This isn't something that Stormlight doesn't heal the memories it doesn't heal you know make it that you that you're always there he now shakes he has moments where it's difficult to to grab a spear and so he's been asked and told you need to be moved away from high marshal and made into another and put into another role right and time to mm -hmm. hand that off and which is really hard and uh it breaks my heart but i'm curious as to what your guys's feelings were and thoughts were when kaladin was moved promoted out of his position right it is it's difficult when you're good at something, you know you're good at something, everybody else knows you're good at something, and you need to not do that thing anymore. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Uh, and this this happens, I think this happens to a lot of people professionally. You know, in whatever industry you work in, you probably start in a, a contributor role, and you get really good at, you know, producing this or selling that or whatever it is that you do, and then eventually you grow in your career to the point where somebody says, hey, we need you to teach the next crop. <laughs> or, you know, we need you to manage this team. We need you to, to step out of the, you know, head down in the trenches doing, doing, doing. And we need you to think about things and train other people and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So this should be really recognizable to a lot of people. Uh, again, it's epic fantasied up where mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, he's scarred from horrendous battles and friends betrayals and all that stuff but it should again be recognizable right oh i agree absolutely yeah. um did you stephanie did you have any feelings or thoughts about kaladin shift or the work that he starts to do because he shifts from it spends a little bit of time in his broody pity party and then decides to go try and help people who are like him and becomes kind of a kaladin you know, Dr. Quinn medicine woman thing going on. Sure. <laughs> oh, not really more, the doctor. I probably would have gone. But. Well, I'm not going to compare to... him to Dr. Phil. <laughs> but um, do I have any notes on conversations we've had about this? Or? I don't have any notes <laughs> from you about that. I think for me, it, it, they made it a very natural transition for Kaladin. And I think it became really evident that something needed to happen with him when he had his interaction with Moash and he froze up that you could tell that there is something very broken about him and it is becoming, he is becoming a danger to both himself and those around him that people are going to die because he can't perform anymore and not just because he didn't get there in time or that he's always so worried about that. If he's not there, people are going to die. You might make the argument that we lost Elho car because of it. I, think it's a weak argument but you could make that argument yeah yeah that one yeah. Yeah, the elokar thing seemed more like surprise and then mm -hmm. later it became shock yeah. yeah right battle shock but he's surprised in the in the moment with elokar so yeah i don't yeah um 
I feel like this segment is the weakest okay. uh, in the book so far and one of the weakest things in Stormlight so far only because it feels a little bit too um, episode of the week. Like if, if you guys ever watch Law and & Order <laughs> and it, they do a lot of episodes that are like ripped from the headlines. Mm-hmm. That's what this felt like. It's because this is something that we deal with in the real world. Mental health is not, we do not deal with it well in the United States Mm -hmm. and we do not offer good enough support to those who suffer from it. You know, it used to be that we would lock them away in the sanitarium and forget about them. You know, it was essentially jail if you were crazy. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and then we went completely the, the other way and just like, Oh no, those places are horrible, awful. So, turn them all loose and then you get this you know homeless problems and drug problems and issues like that where now we're dealing with the fallout from the horrible decisions that we've made with how to deal with mental health and you know severe mental health problems and uh and so this feels a little bit too ripped from the headlines if that makes sense because this is something that has been talked about so much the last few years uh did, did that make does that make sense i'm not used yeah. to brandon doing ripped from the headlines and i think i will tell you i think that had this been written slightly later because this was still finished before we got into pandemicville and everything that was going <laughs> sure. on yeah. you know had this been written slightly later i think that might it would be even more on the nose i do think it is a topic that he is addressing for uh, putting a mirror up to us a little bit saying hey yeah this is kind of the way things are here as well um the, as you say ripped from the headlines uh i but I do think that it was planned to to have this discussion because of the way he has set these characters up from the very beginning with Kaladin, with Shalom, with everybody. That he's part of his purpose in the series was to showcase people dealing with difficult mental strain and different pieces there that normally don't get a lot of time in in books. Yeah, uh, yeah. because they're not they're not the hero everyone wants. They're not the they're not the Superman uh, character. They're, they're a more broken person. And I, so when I say that this part is weak compared to the rest uh, of the book or books, it's that he comes at them with that epic fantasy slant. You know, I've, I've already referenced this a couple of times and we can, you know, you, you look at Kaladin, he's dealing with depression and then battle shock or whatever, you know, shell shock or whatever we call it these days, PTSD. Or whatever it's called. It's got a new name now, right? Todd went on a whole rant. We don't know. Okay, whatever. I just call it post-traumatic stress and leave it at that. There you go. Somebody will get on Twitter and excoriate me. That's fine. I I would actually like to know what it's really called now. But anyway, the point is he goes through those things because of this crazy epic fantasy story that he's going through. And Mm -hmm. so the, the lens that we're dealing with Kaladin's depression through is just far enough away from our own experience to give us a little remove. Whereas when we get to this storyline, it's almost literally what we do in the real world. Yeah. With those who suffer from these support groups and exactly support groups and the, and the lock them in a dark room and that sort of thing. It's so, it's so on the nose that lens is staring right into our real world that it makes me uncomfortable amid all of the other slightly off kilter epic fantasy versions mm-hmm. of real world things. So it's, I let me be clear, I think these issues are 100% worth talking about. We should be talking about them more. We should be fixing these problems more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying this isn't a topic that he should be tackling. It just felt a little bit ham-fisted. Okay. As he went about it. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I can I can see that argument there. Um, I I thought it was interesting because I, I remember feeling some very similar feelings about recognizing, okay, support groups and everything. And like, and, you know, we're going to, uh, especially when he goes in to the, to the, the ardent sanitarium version where it, it felt really, uh, it did feel really on the nose there. Um, that being said, I, I don't know. I, there was a, I had a concern. I know someone in our uh, Discord or Reddit submitted and said, hey, how would you love to see Kaladin doing counseling for the rest of the series? Like, he was just going to be a counselor or whatever. And 
I was not okay with that idea. And I feel, you know, whether I'm a terrible person or not for feeling that way, but the idea, like, I still think he's protecting and helping and doing that sort of thing. But I would have not been appreciative of Kaladin only becoming the support counselor for everybody else going through the rest of the story. Right. So yeah. there's a conversation that Kaladin, it might even be with himself as he's thinking through everything that he's doing um, after he's kind of supported, started his support group and he talks about his oath strength before weakness mm -hmm. and he talks about his own weakness and then it's not necessarily just putting himself before others but also realizing that it's an internal strength before his own weaknesses as well that it's not just his brawn that is yes. that is important and i think that's kind of where his storyline needs to go where he realizes that the oaths that he has made are more than just to protect others in the in fighting or anything like that that he also needs to know that there are other ways that he can keep his oaths still stay true to himself and this is how we're going to get Kaladin to the point where he can grow in his oaths and as a radiant because right now he is very stuck yes. and until he starts mentally working through some of his own issues and I think helping other people work through these issues is part of that that Kaladin's not going to go anywhere and we're going to get Kaladin on this plateau, which isn't interesting. Yeah, when we got to the end of Oathbringer and they were trapped in Shadesmar and he couldn't swear the fourth ideal. Um, I think it's interesting. It, it's fairly. It's been a fairly common guess and expectation that he's going to swear the fourth ideal in this book at some point in time. A lot of people have said that this is... I, I, I hope that that's going to be the case. And I, I remember going through the sections in part one and two how do you take someone who has been a warrior up to this point, who's been protecting and everything, shift them into this role and have them swear a higher ideal of protection? Well, what if it's understanding what other types of things need people need to be protected from, including themselves and their own depression and things like that? Like, could that be, you know, what that next fourth ideal is based on? It's understanding that there's more to that. I just remember having that thought when we were first going through it. So I like that a lot. At some point, we've got to do uh, what was the novella that he released? Don Shard. Don Shard. Don Shard. And talk about uh, what's the third ideal from Lopen. Lopen. At some point, we got to talk about that. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. Oh, I cannot believe Ryan. I'm admitting that. Oh my gosh, you deserve I'm, to have it spoiled. I'm just kidding. I'm. I have been reading it the past two days though, so I should be done probably tonight or tomorrow. I will not spoil what that third ideal for Lopen is, but uh, please go read Don Shard if you haven't. <laughs> it shouldn't you, take Ryan. you long. It's no. only like 200 pages. Should we talk about bad guys? Can we talk yes. about bad guys? Next thing, let's... Uh, well, I mean, bad guys. Who do you want to talk about <laughs> as a bad guy? A bad guy? Uh, well, we've got the Pursuer. We've okay. got... Uh, well, obviously not Venley so much, but we got Leshwi and Raboniel. And Rebel Yell, the crazy lady. But are they really bad guys? Well, okay, so... Oh, boy. Let's just, <laughs> but, but let's talk about that. So the big thing, the big initiative for our antagonists <laughs> in this uh, particular book is they're taking over the tower. Yes. So, okay, so the, the armies have left and there's only a skeleton crew left in the tower and the antagonists <laughs> move in and take it over. It's a it's a really great scene. I like the scene where they mm -hmm. take over the tower. It's horrifying and it's uh, it's bloody and it's intense and it uh, the, the stakes are very, very high, right? And yes. they start draining the, or they start corrupting the, the tower the tower fabrics yeah yeah and uh, ken do you know ha have uh, have you met the sibling uh yes she speaks to okay navani i was afraid i was we're good something. yeah <laughs> we're good <laughs> uh okay so they start corrupting no her. why is she alive <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and I, I really like that sequence and the other thing that happens they're trying to drain the tower but in doing so they're also corrupting the radiants who are left in the tower so mm -hmm. the radiants all fall unconscious except for kaladin and lift and lift yeah and uh, and so that now i think we made the joke on the previous upcoming episode <laughs> about uh what was it uh john mccaladin uh oh yeah it's, it's, it becomes die hard yeah die yeah. hard die go hard. ahead go ahead say it what with us that was yours oh die yeah. hard friends. 
Sorry. Well, now <laughs> that was your joke. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm bleeping that out. I'm, so that, I like that joke. I'm mad I, I didn't to... come up with it. Uh, okay. So what I would have said in the future, or what I will say in the future, or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that'll be in time works weird. That'll be in the other episode. So okay, now let's talk about who is involved in all of this. We've got Venley, who is on the side of the listeners, but obviously not uh, down with their program completely. Yeah, she, she's the only one of the listeners, or she's the last listener. And that actually is a very important distinction that she is still a listener because everybody else is a fused or they regal classify or them as singer singers. Or singers. singers. Yeah. Or yeah. a heavenly one. The, or... the mass population of Parshendi have now become singers, but yeah. she is a listener. Yes, we had to actually go through some, take some time to like make sure we understood the hierarchy of our antagonists. This because... is what I'm talking about. This again, this is like now we have a third thing. We've got Roshar generally. We've got Shadesmar, and now we've got the antagonists the Alethi, who everybody have their else. own in crazy, incredible, crazy politics that you have to understand. Yeah, yeah it's it's a lot. Yeah, there is a hierarchy to it uh, that goes down. Thunderclasts fused and uh, or thunderclasts the nine fused and all the whole spiel. Um, but okay, but, but she, we've got Venley in the mix, and she's not super down with it. And she is uh, originally she's the handmaiden or the assistant or whatever of uh, Leshwi. The she is the voice the of voice. Lesh- the voice. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Um, for Leshwi, who is Kaladin's kind of counterpart among the the fused. she is a fused. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then she is handed off to Raboniel, um, who is kind of the mastermind. So if we want to stick with Die Hard, all right, we've got our our Die Hard set up here. <laughs> I'm serious. Great. This I'm going to, to leave this conversation. <laughs> this is a good way to think about it. You've got Kaladin. He is there to gum up the works. He's your John McClane. And then we've got Raboniel, who is the mastermind. She's Hans, Hans Gruber, Gruber yeah. uh, trying to to mastermind everything with the henchmen, right? She sends out all the henchmen, and the uh, what, what the pursuer is essentially our uh, what the the big blonde German guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Carl. So he's Carl. Okay, <laughs> I've got it all figured out. This. <laughs> I, I made it, I, I kind of just made it a joke as Kaladin going through there and now we've actually literally gone through and, and broken it all out because it works. You gave us time to break this down. I, I, to be honest, I was thinking about, it, these are very recognizable character types uh, mm. when you look at the pursuer versus Raboniel and you've got the muscle versus the brains mm-hmm. uh, in the bad guy's operation, sorry, the antagonist's <laughs> operation. And You can call the pursuer a bad guy. I think he's very much a bad guy. Right. Anyway, so these are really, really recognizable uh, character types. And I literally thought of Hans Gruber and Carl before it clicked in my mind that <laughs> Kaladin was John McClane. And I've made that joke with Ryan before. And yeah, it's uh, it, it fits very well. These are classic characters. Yeah, they are. So, uh, so anyway, do we, Ken, how do you feel at this point about like, about Raboniel and Leshwi? I feel like Raboniel is still insane, but she's the bad kind of insane because she is still functioning. She knows, she know. well, she's the kind who looks at what the opposition does, you know, in this case, Navani creating that shield around the sibling. And she goes, oh, that's neat. You know, instead of, instead of going off or saying, how do we destroy this or whatever? She just looks at it and goes, this is interesting. So... She's almost trying to make things work, but in a in a way that the, the singers are on top and the humans are submissive or uh, subservient. That's her that's her uh, way of making it work. Is singers rule, humans, humans drool. drool. Thank you. Yeah, yep. Okay. And and it all works out. And it's crazy, but I mean, is it insane? I don't know. But her, the difference is, I think, the difference uh, kind of what you're alluding to. She's is still functioning, I guess. Is that she is choosing. Each of her steps. There's this craziness yeah. where it's uncontrolled, where it's chaotic, and she is completely in control of of the steps she's she's taking. Yeah, That's, more. Yeah. You know, the pursuer is a little bit on the crazier side, where he has his creed that he lives by, which is, uh, if I am killed by someone, I will, I, I have I to seek vengeance, have to take yep. them out, and they are mine, and no one else can have them, and everything, uh, which is currently Kaladin is his target because Kaladin kills him back at Hearthstone, right, and it kind of catches him off guard in this moment, and just gets a little lucky, kills him. And so now we have Kaladin and the pursuer, you know, 
headed kind of going head to head which pisses off leshwi because she wants kaladin and yeah. well i think this is this is one of the things that i love most about our antagonists um <laughs> that we have set up is leshwi and kaladin in the first parts the stuff that was all released ahead that everyone you know people were reading ahead of time the heavenly ones and the wind runners have this honor code between them uh it showcases there that it's not just insanity it's not just hatred but they would they would fight each other one to one. So they'd have signals to you know to fight one another, and then they would go off and fight. And then once the battle was over, they would kind of separate. And Kaladin lets Leshwi go on a, on an occasion, and Leshwi kind of does the same thing. You know, at a different point, it's it, it all of a sudden takes our takes the singers and the listeners and shifts them from the bad guys kill everything mentality that we get from the storms version of them back in. Uh, words of radiance and it says no there's there's a, a, a depth to these and there's a side that you can actually maybe understand and want to root for a little bit um and we've been i i don't know if this is intentional my inclination is to and hope is to say that it is but we have kind of been spoon fed this shift of uh mentality on the listeners on the singers uh that started back with relaine started with relaine going through you know when he becomes part of bridge for and so we pick up a little bit by a little bit all the way to the point where we're now literally in a portion where there you can make the argument that they're right and that they deserve to be ruling their own planet that they were on uh maybe they can or maybe they can find a middle ground you know i think navani and uh or uh Rabonial. Rabonial, uh, it might have been leshwi and venley <laughs> that i don't remember exactly. but there's having, a lot of characters yeah, in this yeah. book okay <laughs> but are able to have a conversation about, you know, well, what does it look like when, what does rule look like? Could it possibly be something? Uh, could there be a middle ground? Could there be a, a split? Uh, uh, you know, could you just, you know, I know Dalinar at one point is like, could you be happy with just this portion? You know, if we gave you this and then we took our half and like split it and called it good, could we end this? And um, uh, all of a sudden these, it, this allows us a new middle ground of characters from the other side. So we still have the super crazy nine. We have the super crazies, the pursuers ever there. We have this middle ground of people who show honor and care in with Leshwi and the heavenly ones and things like that. And then we have the humans over here and kind of their far side. So there's like five tiers of people and characters in this story on both sides. And we're kind of like, well, the people we kind of want the people in the middle and maybe just a little on the skirts to get what they want because that that makes the most sense. But the crazies are the ones who are in charge. Right. Right. Like, oh, boy. Yeah. Wonder what life would be like if that was true. I feel like <laughs> right. easy. Oh, careful, careful. <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of signs uh, in the first two parts and a little bit Nothbringer that there's a lot. There are a lot of possibilities for integration between the two. Get get Odium out of the way. Bottle him up. Get rid of him for good, if you, if possible. Something to that effect. Get rid of his influence. I feel like there are a lot of indicators that a complete alliance or, or living in harmony between the fused uh, between the, the singers and the humans can be possible. I relain working with, uh, with ardents to show them that, Hey, look sound and sprint or sound and stormlight working together makes plants grow, makes plants grow. Yeah. That sort of thing. Navani learning that, that sound can transfer stormlight from, from gem to gem that sort of stuff. It's all leading up to look the listener or the, the songs of the listeners or the rhythms of the listeners and the stormlight of the humans need to work together in order for us to live in harmony, you know, and, and have a Coke or something. Yes. I think that is headed in the right direction. Um, there is a little bit uh, to discuss potentially about they, they make a point of having a conversation about humans having two surges versus the uh, singers only having one. Uh, it's a very brief thing. Mm -hmm. I remember this. Uh, but there is a conversation in there about that. Um, I didn't, it, it just, it stood out to me. I don't know if it stood out to any of you or if there's any thoughts you guys had on that other than that maybe we just mention it and pass pass on, but. What, so what it, Whatever, you didn't have said thought. I did. I shared it with you earlier today. <gasps> oh. Don't take my thoughts away. What is yours <laughs> is mine. What is mine is yours. <laughs> okay, so what is this? Uh, why so there, do we care about this? There's a conversation that is between Rabonial and Venli, and they start talking about, well, the Radiants have two surges, and their surges come from both cultivation and honor, right. where 
The singers have one surge, and that comes strictly from cultivation. And rabonial, from what? From odium, right? No, because odium's not their god. He's kind of is now, but okay. So anyway, so this this is where their surges come from. And rabonial's talking about wouldn't you rather have a fighter who knows one thing really well as opposed to these other people who are good at lots of things, but only good Jack, at Jack them. All trades. And so as I got thinking about some of the things that the singers are capable of, especially the the stone ones that can like yeah. walk, glide through stone or the ones that like stick their hands up through the stones and grab people and Pretty everything. Good. Great horror sequence. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. They're slicing throats and everything with their hands up through the stones. I'm thinking like, is this stuff that the radiants actually are capable of that if someone would just share information that they could all grow and be better slit throats and yeah they could all (laughs) stand in walls and attack each other but so that's the conversation that was had between so essentially what you're getting to stephanie is why can't we all just get along well yes (laughs) (laughs) okay good question good question i don't know why Okay, well, I don't know where are we at time-wise. Oh, we got a few more minutes. Okay. Um, I know people are probably itching, like, why haven't you talked about Navani yet? Navani, that's because we spend a good chunk of time. That is the one thing in the other episode that we actually focused on for (laughs) 10 minutes, maybe? So, yes, we will get to Navani. We have talked about her in the future. Yes, so uh, trust us, there is Navani content. I do think that... her storyline, uh, she's obviously become a main character in this and is well-deserving of additional discussion. And I'm sure you'll all be upset with things we have to say and also love things we have to say. Um, but there are a couple other characters as well. I'm, I, we're not going to bother with Yasna or Wit, really, in this because they don't do anything. They don't, even less than, you know, we kind of talked about Dalinar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like He just had a, a little bit there with the Coalition of Monarchs, but we haven't even seen Yasna or Wit doing much at all at this point. Right, so we can kind of skip past We them. just know that Yasna has gone with Dalinar to fight because that's what she believes a, a royal should do and what yeah. her people expect of her. We'll get to see a little bit more of that in the future, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am. Okay, uh, a couple of other things I have on my on the list here. We can go toss out. Uh, there is an interlude, a couple interlude things. If you guys want to jump into those a little bit, uh, one of them is we get an interlude that is still specific, uh, which I really enjoyed. Oh yeah, yeah, quite a lot. It, there, it, we have a tendency, or we can have a tendency, and it's perfectly understandable to think of her as the Jiminy Cricket, and she exists solely for Kaladin's sake, mm-hmm. right? And it's kind of whatever the Spren version of like a, a Bechtel test or something along those <laughs> lines, right? Right. She only exists to support Kaladin. But in fact, she is her own person with her own desires and her own goals. And yeah, it, they do in large measure revolve around uh, helping Kaladin and mm-hmm. maintaining their relationship. And, and there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But we don't have any scenes up until this point where she shows a lot of agency on her part and going off and doing something without talking to Kaladin about it. But now she does. She goes to Dalinar and tells him, like, uh, Kaladin's pretty messed up and I need you to fix him, right? Or something along I need you to help me fix him, right? is what show she's... Me, show me how I can fix you're him. You're a bondsmith. We have, me and Kaladin have a bond. I need you to strengthen our bond so I can understand him so I can help him and fix right. him. Oh, that's right. She wants to feel the way that he feels. She wants to understand his dark brain, I think is what she calls it. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is so sweet. It's so, so sweet and horrifying. <laughs> yeah, the idea of a super depressed sill, brooding sill or whatever, like with, with Kaladin, that's that's kind of a rough a rough thought to but go really, through. But Dalinar, Dalinar kind of confronts her with that. This is says, really a great moment for Dalinar to where you get to showcase a little bit more of the depth of Dalinar, where he basically explains to her that she already understands him, that she has been through loss and she has been to a very, I think almost literal dark place after she lost her first radiant and the pathway that she has taken to come back 
she understands him. She doesn't need to strengthen a bond. She doesn't need to do anything else because the empathy that she has is already there. So yeah. what other uh, interludes do we have? The other one, we have a little bit of a discussion with uh, Ja Anat. Oh, okay. Sure. Oh, the, that's right. The unmade. Again, he's giving layers where <laughs> it's great, but it's also a little bit frustrating. Like, oh my gosh, now I need to understand the politics between Odium and the Nine. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and the Fused. Because the, the Nine. Un- aren't... They're unmade. Okay. She's an unmade. Right. The unmade. Thank you. That's what I was going for. And so she is not necessarily, you know, much like uh, much like Venley, she has motives of her own. She's not just a, a ring wraith or something. Yeah, right. It would be like if one of the ring wraiths turned and said, no, I kind of want to help you guys. I'm, right. I'm really done with the black. I'd like to go with more of a light gray or something. <laughs> Can we do something different? Um, and so she comes out and she and we get to see a little bit of her expression of frustration um, about what she's doing because what she does is she she corrupts Spren and she hates the fact that people say that that she's corrupting Spren because all she's doing she's essentially giving them the ability to connect with Odium as well as their uh, existing structure right um, so people look at that and they go Odium bad you know can you you touch the bad thing so you are a bad thing and I don't want anything to do with the bad thing <laughs> I, why, why do I feel like this is horribly inappropriate <laughs> because it's uh, because <laughs> I'm saying it um, <laughs> and she talks about how no that's not the case and we know that there is already one spren in play from her with our radiance with Relaine or not Relaine Renarin um, Renarin, Renarin sorry yeah. with Renarin um so it gives him a little depth. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen much of Renarin yet other well, than... Yes, we have. What have we seen in Well, his... in part one when he rescues Kaladin. Yeah. From, oh, yeah. Uh, oh. from Moash. Yes. Uh, which yes. actually is a scene that really jumped out to me. Sorry, I, I want to come back to that, but go on with the Shahnat point. No, I think that's... It, it leads into that, though, is to, to realize that the work she's doing may be... It, it's going to open up another another layer and another tier to us in that we have these spren that we have in the past considered are they they they're evil they're bad but we've already seen that Renarin uses one and it's not either or it has literally made him different and able to do things that that others can that others can't is the corrupted spren the reason that Renarin frustrates the the uh, framework the it's because he can the see plan. the future yeah yeah. But is that because of the corrupted sprint? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, I like the way you're thinking and you'll understand <laughs> that reference in the next episode. <laughs> I like the way you're thinking about this. It's, um, I think it's easy to forget because Odium is our big bad in this mm-hmm. series. It's easy to forget that he is one of the 16 shards or I guess it is one of the 16 shards of Adonalsium. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're getting shard names thrown at us left and right through these two sections you know so we're getting to know what some of those other uh what are we calling them shards the facets of whatever this this shards he, of adenalcium that's right and so we don't know a ton about what or who adenalcium is but i think it's it's kind of it's interesting that uh, do we call adenalcium god in this yeah. in this universe whatever close enough uh, yeah. and odium is part of that Mm-hmm. And is necessary for a fully functioning Adonalsium, whatever you God, whatever yeah. we want to call it. And so it's kind of getting to what you're talking about, Ryan, where it's, oh, you, you touched the bad thing. Mm-hmm. By the way, I really want to sample you saying that <laughs> so I can play it on a loop at the end of every episode. Um, anyway, so it's like he, shorn of all the other shards, all the other intents. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's an antagonist. Odium is an antagonist, but it doesn't have to be that way if it's working in concert with other uh, shards, other intents. Yeah, which is, uh, I know we address it a little bit, um, but the second letter that's part of part two in all yeah. the epi- epigraphs, uh, Odium will does not want to gather other shards to him because he knows that they will adjust and change him. Right. And that is not his goal he just he wants to literally destroy all the other shards so that he is the one and only god there you go yeah he wants to splinter them yes anyway so you were talking about that and then 
we wanted to go into Renarin and okay. the, in the sequence, Kaladin is because uh, in that moment he is with the the pursuer or something in a burning. No, he's with Moash. Moash. It's Moash after that. Is, uh, yeah, he just killed the pursuer. Well, he's with Moash in the burning cellar. That's, okay, so yeah. he and Moash are facing off. Moash refuses to fight him. And, you know, and so Kaladin is kind of helpless. He's not going to murder Moash. He's happy to strike him down in battle, but he's not going to murder Moash. Mm -hmm. And so instead, Moash starts playing mind games with him and essentially trying to tell him there's only one way for you to get out of this. I found my way out by swearing to Odium, et cetera, et cetera. Your way out is to kill yourself. You you must. If you want this pain to end, that's what you're going to have to do. And it is messing with Kaladin something fierce. It's a, it's a really emotional and intense scene. And just when things are at their darkest, uh, Renarin comes in. We see a figure blazing bright in the doorway. It's Moash. And that light, it doesn't just light up the dark cellar, basement room, whatever. Mm-hmm. It also He also creates a projection of Moash as a different Moash. We see Moash in a, a bright blue as uniform. As Moash as he could have been. If he had stuck with Bridge 4 and held to those ideals, then, you know, it's Moash as he could have been. Um, spoiler alert for <laughs> Mistborn. <laughs> yeah. If you have not read Mistborn... Skip ahead about skip, two minutes, yeah, three g- minutes. Yeah, give me a minute or two. This is very much, uh, what do we call it, Melatium. The the uh, the eleventh metal. Yeah, that Adium's. Yeah, it's Meladium. Yeah, Vin burns it and sees uh, an alternate version of the Lord Ruler, and so this is an identical power that we're seeing here through Stormlight. Yep. Right. This is our connection to Mistborn here. Uh, Right. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't any difference between the two as far as the the effect. Right. Correct. Okay. So it's a great scene, and it was a great little tie-in if you've read Mistborn. Um, okay, end Mistborn spoilers, right? <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, uh, I really enjoyed the 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 climax of that sequence after he sees the other version of Moash. That that's what kind of breaks Moash, and he has to go back and basically regenerate with Odium. Like you have to take my pain away because I'm feeling again. Right, I'm feeling again, and that's that's the agreement I have with you. So Renarin uses his powers as a truth watcher yes is that what he is okay uh and and as you were saying his spren is quote-unquote corrupted yeah changed by shot not is so is that power does he have like light and dark powers and that was one of his light powers because that caused moash to feel again or or do we have any information like that? Were you able to glean anything from the text here? This is one of those times when I'm sure that uh, other people who are heavily, heavily invested in the Cosmere might be like, yes, yes, it's very, that's exactly what it is. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that there's, a, we've got enough information about Renarin's powers up to this point to say that that is an effect of his spren being corrupted right. uh, versus another Truth Watcher. We haven't seen another Truth Watcher in action yet to have a, control group to compare against but we have one in shadesmar now yes we do but i'm assuming she doesn't do anything so. but we haven't <laughs> we <laughs> haven't done it we, at this point we haven't seen anything that says right. that compares against renarin's says this is truth watching yeah so now this is truth watching <laughs> uh okay so, so that's that i can't really answer that with a definitive yes or no but i do i do believe that his bond with the corrupted sprint does affect those powers and make them slightly different in such a way that he might be able to do things like that in a different way. Okay. It it feels like between Renarin, who's becoming really compelling, and Venli, who can hold Voidlight and Stormlight, that they set the stage for some kind of unified radiant group. They um, really are the hybrids. In the future. If you take everything to the next step and kind of hybrid mix everything, Venli and Renarin are your two most common there to be that I would make a case that being that we haven't seen anything yet from him, but Relaine could potentially be yes, in that as well because that was the other one. he was supposed to get an honor sprint and Kaladin kind of told an honor sprint, you need to go give him a chance. And the honor sprint was like, fine, I'll do whatever. And, well, and Relaine, but, and then Relaine rejected understandably it. says, I don't want a, a sprint that's going to be here under duress. I'm, pity sprint? A pity, a pity sprint? sprint. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want your pity sprint. I don't <laughs> 
exactly. So there's there's a whole other potential arc, and so I'm you know I'm looking at those characters and looking into books six through ten and saying in the way that he has changed Mistborn from era one to era two and how he's going to change Stormlight uh, from books into that back half. Like I I expect that we'll probably see something in the back half where it's more of a hybrid uh, magic system between. Uh, the combination of those things either being fixed or something being splintered and becoming unavailable or, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm thinking that's going to head. I think so. Can I give you a prediction just to get it on the record, by the way? Oh, I, by all means. I think by the I end love of... Th- put it out so we can call it out later. Yeah. <laughs> I think by the end of book five, Shallan and Kaladin or Shallan and Adolin and Kaladin are world hoppers just to get them out of the way for the second group of five uh, stories. I could I, duly noted. I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. 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 Sh- should we call it there? I, I think that's a pretty good place to to call uh, that discussion and uh, watch for our the things that we meandered about in the next episode. <laughs> I mean, this was a pretty meandery episode too, but I feel like we got to lo- a lot more. We yeah. meandered through a lot more yeah. territory this time than we did on the other episode. I still think it's it, it'll be a fun discussion for those who enjoy this show. We just uh, like Stephanie and I. Stephanie and I were talking about it after the the episode that the one that you haven't heard yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. Basically, we just didn't want that one to be the first one that people hear about Rhythm of War. So we figured uh, we'd give it another shot. Hopefully, this was enjoyable. Yeah, and if there's things you would like to discuss, we the conversation can continue on Discord and Reddit and places like that. So we're more than happy to spend time. And we only have 12 more episodes of yeah. Rhythm of War to go through. So yeah, we'll, somewhere along the way, I'm sure we could talk about whatever it is that you want us to talk about. When we complete our part five and do kind of a book as the whole, we can always come back and revisit stuff in here. Yeah, but. yeah that's true. And just to remind everybody at thelegendarium.com, that's thelegendarium.com, there is a permanent link to our Discord server. So if you've been thinking about joining up uh, and you've been looking for an invite, that is open to the public. So you can go there and find it there. We'd love to see it. Love to discuss the Sanderson. There's a Sanderson general channel. And then there's also a Rhythm of War specific channel in there. And both of those are hopping. Yeah. You might say they're world hopping. They are. I would not say that. (laughs) They are abuzz with activity. So if you want to find dozens of other people uh, at any given moment ready to discuss these books with you, then please go, go do that. And if you like what we do, go to patreon.com slash legendarium. Okay, Ryan, sorry. You can close this out. No, I, I just f- thought you were back in your rhythm and in your, your rhythm and your groove. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I'm shut down there. Okay. Well, uh, all the housekeeping is all taken care of. Then I th- hope you guys enjoy the, the meandering next episode. And we'll be back. We'll be discussing next parts three and four of Rhythm of War. Um, we'll cover that in a very similar vein and fashion, hopefully more... Uh, with better construct than we did with this one so yeah we'll see yeah well we'll uh, see you all in that uh, that episode everyone thanks thanks